if you can sell bits and pieces, if you can sell profit centers that don't sacrifice your momentum, then you can have an unlimited number of exits because you have an exit building machine. You lit- you you have a goose. You don't literally, but you figuratively have a goose that is laying these golden eggs. And so why sell the goose? Why sell the momentum? Why not create a structure that has multiple companies so that your media and your personnel and your IP, your intellectual property, and your major core functions that are, uh, or your major supporting functions that are not core to that one business can be separatized, and then you sell that business. Welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast with business strategist, speaker, and author, Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights, and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. Hi, Gavin here, introducing the second of a two-part interview that I've done with Roland Frazier. If you caught the first part of the interview uh, that came out a couple of days ago, and, and the first part we talked about finding the center of influence in a market in order to get re- leverage, the importance of long gaming relationships, and the one or rather Roland's 1KX matrix, how to get a thousand times the result in your business. Uh, Roland um, is the man behind the Business Lunch podcast. Check that out if you've not come across it yet, the Business Lunch uh, with Roland Frazier. He's also, um, importantly, one of the owners of digitalmarketer.com and is uh, one of the owners of the War Room Mastermind in the US for uh, people with uh, turnovers of over uh, $1 million. A phenomenal mastermind with a phenomenal community he's created over there. Roland is super experienced and skilled in building businesses and exiting them for value. And in this episode, the part two, we're going to be talking about first principles reasoning. We're going to be using examples of Elon Musk and Tesla and what he's done with batteries uh, and, and using the first principles reasoning approach to uh, massively increase the margin around manufacture at Tesla. We're also going to be using a formula that Roland calls E2P and citing an example of the, using this E2P strategy, what that's done for Jeff Bezos and the profitability of Amazon. Amazing insight. And then we go on to talk about structuring a business so that you can exit or sell the eggs whilst retaining the goose so that you can maintain momentum and growth um, with the core sort of business activities. You'll love this episode. Roland is a font of knowledge, huge amount of vast experience, amazing insights, a big heart and loads of enthusiasm. You will thoroughly appreciate the second part of a two-part interview here with Roland Frazier. Exactly. So that, that, would, be, that would be one with revenue, with profits, um, Probably my favorite one, and it comes, uh, I stole it uh, flat out unabashedly from uh, a very unsuccessful entrepreneur named Jeff Bezos. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> who is, uh, uh, somebody said the other day, they said, they said uh, over the years, he's come to look more and more like Lex Luthor. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So he's, uh, but anyway, I, no, I think Jeff, Jeff's an, an amazing guy. And I remembered, re- I, I, I think it was Time Magazine, but it might have been Fortune. But um, when he decided to make, Amazon's infrastructure available to the world for 
uh, the, their server networks the and, server. and all that yeah, yeah, yeah. through yeah. through AWS, Amazon, Amazon Web Services. Yeah. Um, everybody said you're absolutely crazy. You're you're losing focus. This is stupid. You're you're not making any money yet anyway because you know they took forever to make any profit. And um, but but it was very very smart of him because he saw this giant expense and he wanted to figure out how could he defray the cost of the expense. So um, I call it E2P, you know, E and then the number two and then P, expenses to profit. And so for the profit side of things, I think one of the easiest things that you can do is go through and look at your biggest cost centers that are not profit centers right now and say, how could I convert those into a profit center? So for Bezos, it was, I've got all this infrastructure, this internet cost, these servers and things like that. What if I just make them available to the rest of the world? He did. And uh, I think it was the 2017 Amazon annual report that had the numbers and sales for um, Amazon North America were $12 billion, right? Right. 12.9, something like that. And profits were a little over 2 billion. I think it was about 2.2 sales for um, Amazon web services were like eight, um, goodness. but profit was three. Nice. So he made $3 billion in profit yeah. from a company that would not exist had he not thought to do this. And if you think about the profit, this is the thing people miss, that, and I haven't even uh, until this moment thought of it, but if you took the profit out of AWS and 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 said that's that's an ex- basically an expense or that's profit that would not have existed yeah. and you put the expense over on like North America it would lose money fascinating right so what makes amazon profitable is the fact that he did genius. that genius now that's a wicked smart yeah so for for yeah. every business if you think about that for everybody that's listening if you make a list of your say your seven top expenses and and people when I when I go through this exercise, they don't uh, they they frequently say, "Well, I don't see how I can turn inventory into a profit center or payroll or my rent on my facilities." But three great examples there would be your your inventory could be wholesale inventory sure. to someone else. Your raws, your raw materials that yep. that make up your cogs that could be something that you wholesale to other people. So for us, cost of goods sold. Yes. So when we went into uh, bath bomb manufacturing, we said, and Perry, I got to give Perry, my partner, really good credit for this. We went into bath bomb manufacturing and um, we were selling bath bombs for $7 a piece. And that was good, but we could do wholesale orders of bath bombs for 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 at a time instead of orders for retail for sure. $7, $14, $21 at a time. Sure. So that was to me very smart. But then the even smarter thing was to sell the ingredients that made up the bath bombs that we were buying. We sold those ingredients. So we bought bathbombsupplies.com and started making those not only the bath bomb wholesale business, but the actual ingredients to other people who could even be competitors of ours available because then when they start buying bulk supplies from us, our aggregated bulk supply of our order plus their order drove our cost down. So our cost of goods sold is re- reduced. And then we've not only turned, we've not only turned 
the wholesaling and the ingredients or the component parts into profit centers from expenses, but we've lowered our expenses and increased our margins on our core business. Love it. Yeah. So that that would be one for that. So so with that though, when you're looking at that, that E to P expenses into profit, yep. back to one of those um, challenges given to Basos and saying it's not your core business, you mm-hmm. know, you don't lose your focus. How can people out following that E to P strategy avoid it being a distraction as they build up a whole new profit center and effectively business activity? Yeah, it's a great question. And the answer is you have to have a champion. So you, you what we've found, and this is through uh, through stupid mistakes of our own, is that uh, you have to have you can't have headless horses running around, right? So if that's a horse that's going to become a profit center for you, that's going to pull you ahead then you need to find someone who's going to ride it. And that person needs to be assigned that. You need to treat it like a business. And so what we typically do is we'll carve that out as a subsidiary business of the core business. Okay. And then that business will get its own, uh, uh, do you call it DM, MD here? Oh, MD. Managing, yeah, MD, managing director. Your own MD, MD yeah. or, or your own- um, CEO for it. Yeah, not CEO, because then those people want too we much money, but general manager. General manager. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So that's that's the way that we do that. Well, what's cool about that is, um, and I was talking with Tucker Max about this. Uh, Tucker's, a, uh, I'm an advisor on Tucker's company. He's got a, uh, an advisory that helps people write books. Yes. And so the first time that I that I talked with him about this, he was like, gosh, I've got, editors i've got graphic designers i've got um uh, book launch publicists i've got all these people who could be providing those individual services which were all aggregated under one product that cost like forty thousand dollars and i said yeah you you've got all these i think we came up with 11 new entry points for customers so what's really cool about that is not only are they profit centers but they're cross-selling opportunities to okay. sell your other things to those people, right? So yeah, yeah. it's an entry point for somebody that's already written a book. Then you're not going to get them. You would not get them for that business as write my book for me and then design the cover and then do all this other stuff and promote it. But if instead you have a speaker's agency and you have a um, – if you have a speaking agency, the next time they write a book – then you can probably pick up the whole thing. If you do editing for somebody that's already written but hasn't edited it very yet. much like a product ecosystem. Yes. Yeah, Steve yeah. Jobs. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Exactly. Love it. Okay, so we did the uh, revenue. We've done growth. Mm-hmm. So valuation but- would be the third. So um, for, for valuation, uh, I think probably the – think of what my favorite thing is. So uh, I, I guess – the the one that most people should should look at is uh, monthly recurring revenue. Okay. So we in 2014 we had a group come to us called Spectrum Equity and Spectrum. Um, if you've if you've heard of LinkedIn, yes. Um, Spectrum helped a company called Linda dot com, which was uh, yeah. had a bunch of courses. Yeah, yeah. They invested in them. Spectrum's a growth capital firm. So there's VCs that are st- basically fund startups, and then there's growth capital firms that basically provide growth. To provide money to businesses that are already established that need the money to get to the next level. So they had made an investment in lynda.com and ultimately had them, you know, sell to a billion dollars plus to, to LinkedIn. So they came to us and we were excited to talk with them. And they said, here's the deal on all of your income that you are having to go out again and again, we were at that time in the publishing business. So we, we sold uh, our and other people's content in courses for 
300 to 500 dollars okay and so every year we'd have to go out and you know find new customers or find or build new courses to sell to our existing customers and they said that's that's cool and it's neat that you're doing that um we'll give you a 1x on sales on net sales for that business but this other business that you've got and at that time we were doing about six hundred thousand dollars a month in one of the profit centers called dm labs where we yes. had uh, monthly you know recurring business yep. people paid uh, i think it was 38 dollars and 36 cents yeah yep. uh, that was not scientifically determined um the a month to have access to our services and they said on that uh six hundred thousand um uh, a month we will give you a 5x valuation and the whole point of that they said was that it it eliminates risk for investors on on money that you we know you're going to get every month and obviously the churn rate the number of people leaving that has to be low enough but if you've got monthly recurring revenue then the risk of you having to go out and sell new people and find new people to buy is so much less than in your one-time sale business. So for us, that was a pretty big epiphany. It's like, okay, well, on that $600,000 of revenue, that's $7.2 million a year. So at a 1X, if we had to go out and sell that again and again and again, we'd get a 7.2 valuation. But if it was 5X... Then what is that? Thirty five and forty. That's uh, thirty five million plus, 35, right? Thirty six ish. Yeah, uh, it's thirty six million for the same business for the same thing. So that just said, for us, it was you need to take. We need to take a look at all of this one time stuff and figure out how to turn it into recurring and software. Also, which we didn't have at the time, helps tremendously. They really like software and they really like those valuations on software. So we just said, okay, well, we'll create a SaaS, a software as a service that delivers this content through, they call it an LMS, a learning management uh, system. And um, those valuations are significantly higher. So for one of the things that's part of that 1KX matrix is how can we look at the things that are not recurring right now, what I call static income, and turn them into recurring. MRR is monthly recurring revenue or ARR, annual recurring revenue. And for everybody that's listening who says, yeah, but I sell cars or I sell clothes or I sell phones or whatever, then three great examples in those areas would be if you sell cars and your Cadillac or Porsche, and I think uh, Audi just started doing it, you can buy those cars on a subscription basis now. So you you subscribe, you pay a monthly fee, you get a new car whenever you want it, etc. Uh, if you sell clothes, you can look at Rent the Runway. Rent the Runway basically turned, uh, a, they, they call it a, uh, a closet in the cloud uh, because they wow. determined that only about 30% of your clothes do you actually ever go back to. For me, I wear the same daggone shirt every day. I've got 5,000 of them, so I don't have to <laughs> think about it, right? But, um, but it's true. There's only a few items in your closet that you use all the time. And so the rest of them, why don't we just keep them for you? We'll make all this designer stuff available. You pay a monthly fee and we'll send you whatever you want when wow. you want it. And then you just send it back. Mm-hmm. And ancillarily there, they ended up uh, being, I think, the largest laundry uh, in the United States. As And you think about an E2P. So there's another yeah. right sliding yeah. in the door because they have to clean all the clothes as they come in and go back out. Yep. So that would be an example. And then with phones, it's Apple. Apple oh, yeah. started saying, you know, hey, you want a new iPhone? You don't want to have to trade it in and do this contract and all that kind of stuff. Just pay us a monthly fee. So if they can do it with those completely non-monthly recurring revenue type businesses, then you can do it for your business. 
I was recently, uh, you talked about monthly recurring revenue, MRR, and annual recurring revenue, ARR. I took a small SaaS business, software as a service, that was in the kind of job management space. So for a, a plumber or electrician going out and then all their workforce is being managed and they can certificate from the work. Can we... We grew the annual recurring revenue at 80% in nine months, and the valuation was just... It's crazy, right? It's crazy. It was a massive eye-opener for me. Yeah, so let me see if I can remember the... the, Like, for those who are listening, the the examples we've talked about, we've got those. Um, The ways that you would do that would be look at anything that's one time right now that's static and say, could it be monthly? Another thing would be, could you offer what you what you're doing as a service, a monthly recurring service that's bundled with your product? So my example there is um, one of our friends, Michael Perella, owns a franchise called I Love Kickboxing, and he was okay. selling those franchises at um, I think uh, eighty, you know, no fifty fifty thousand dollar ish franchise fee, and um, you think he's making a lot of money, but he was paying brokers and everything, and okay. he basically didn't make anything on that. So he said, "I'm going to bundle a service with that." And so he ended up bundling a $25,000 a month service as a monthly recurring component onto his franchise component. Um, You can do it with a box product. So if you've got any kind of like, um, let's say you've got a knowledge uh, product or uh, you're selling uh, pet food, you can do BarkBox would be a great example of that. Uh, you can do it with certifications. So if you're doing any kind of trainings and, and that could be with a product as well. So think about an auto dealership has certified uh, used cars, yes. certified pre-owned cars. I'm sorry, that's, yeah, a, that's a more yeah. politically correct way to say that. So if you're selling products at retail, could you have a certification program for the product? Or if you're selling services, could you certify other people to be able to deliver the services and then have an annual uh, continuing education fee or something like that. Right. Uh, or uh, if you have uh, any kind of association, if you have a group of people that you serve, could you create an association for those people? We do that in pretty much every business now. So we have a craft business. We start the National Craft Society. We start the National Creative Association. For gun owners, we started the American Gun Association. So having a monthly recurring now for those people who are enthusiasts or, or consumers or interested in being up to date on those kinds of things or having group benefits through a program like Abenity, which you can pay a monthly, uh, pay a one-time fee to. And then Abenity aggregates services from lots of providers like phone providers like Verizon or Vodafone or T-Mobile or whoever. And then your members can get discounts on those programs. So there's a lot of ways if, if, there's just five right right off the top of our heads. Sure, so. sure. fantastic. So uh, another area of uh, in terms of of content then from from your legs program. Uh, just I mean, let me find. The- I was wondering where you got all that stuff when you were talking. I was like, because like, you didn't come to that, and I just did it the first time, and I forgot. I put that up on Facebook. That's oh, so I, I remember that. You know, <laughs> my jaw jaw dropping when I read that. I thought that is serious stuff. There. First principles reasoning. Yes. Tell me about that. Yeah. So this comes from um, from a couple of people. It comes from physics, from a algebra uh, and an, a mathematician. I can't remember his name. It's like Kobol or something like that. But anyway, in the um, uh, in the annals of history, who first started saying we need to take all of our assumptions, all of the things that we think. Um, 
about something and re-examine them from the ground up. And my exposure to it came through uh, a gentleman named Charlie Munger, who is Warren Buffett's partner, mm. who Warren uh, credits as being one of the smartest people that he knows, and and uh, also Elon Musk. And basically what it is, is for, for Elon Musk, I think the great example is that when he started Tesla, the batteries that were powering the car were costing about $600 per kilowatt hour. And he said, now that's an assumption that my car is going to need a battery. The battery is going to cost $600 per kilowatt hour. That's an assumption you could go with and say, I'll build that into the price of the car and, um, and my cost model. And, you know, that's what that's, it is what it is. And he said, what if we manufacture the batteries because what are the component parts of a battery? It's nickel and cadmium and some steel and some stuff like this. And then he said, what's the commoditized cost on the London Metals Exchange for each of those metals? And he added it up and it came to about 80 bucks wow. per kilowatt hour. So he's like, "Wow, there's so much margin in the battery. And even if they're making the batteries inefficiently now, which they were, I think I should be able to go in and figure out how to put these things together and have it cost significantly less than it would otherwise cost, which would allow me to have a more affordable vehicle, which would allow me to sell to, to a broader market. Right? Of course, he leverages that and gets scale when he goes straight to the size of a gigafactory. He did, yeah. So, yeah. so, so they are um, the most innovative battery producer. And, and that's what people don't realize is that the, the big edge for Tesla isn't that they're an auto manufacturer. And when you talk to them, they say they're a tech company, but what they don't tell you is what they're really is a battery company, right? And then those batteries turn out to be able to be applicable across all kinds of other markets from homes to everything else, right? So that, that first principles reasoning is going back to the core of every assumption that you make. Should we assume that the battery costs 600 per kilowatt hour? I mean, maybe not. Let's take a look at that. That's that's what that is. And the the most folksy articulation of that through Charlie Munger, I, I think, was uh, uh, was uh, kind of a combination of that and another thinking, which is inversion thinking. Inversion thinking is let's look at all the things that we don't want to happen so that we can be sure that we don't get to that place. His his articulation of that is uh, is tell me where I'm going to die. So I'm sure not to go there. <laughs> Like, ah, that's pretty good. So that pretty combination good. of first principles reasoning from Elon, uh, I think, is a great example, and the inversion thinking from um, uh, you know, it's, it's fascinating that ty- that uh, title, first principles reasoning, and about what what's the fundamental assumption that your whole that organization is holding to be true, which may have been true at one period in the t- point in the past, but is no longer true. Yes, and ev- that's actually. I didn't call it first principle reasoning, but it's one of the things I always look for when I go into an organization, a system of people, and say there's always an assumption that they hold to be true, which at one stage was, is no longer true, and you need to challenge that because you'll unlock value. Well, you're you're in good company because you have developed that independently, as did Euclid and Richard Fenman and Thomas Edison and Nikolai Tesla. So those those are all – and it really comes from – if you think about that, most of those people are physicists, right? So it comes from that 
questioning of the nature of things. I got it from was from um, in the early 2000s. I spent a lot of time with um, Paul McKenna, Dr. Richard Bandler, and Mm -hmm. business partner at the time, a guy called uh, Michael Breen. And he was big on the meta model, which is a logic based language model, as uh, as I know you're aware of. And I really got into that logical reasoning and thought process that, from a coaching perspective, really helped me to drill down to the real core of the issue. Right. And helped me to challenge the assumptions that were implicit in somebody's problem I'm using air quotes here but how, how somebody had formulated that problem frame in their own mind yes yeah yeah so so for the people that are listening that say well that's really cool if you want to start a car company but i'm not going to start a car company sure. how do i apply that to my business i'll give you two examples um so recently uh, uh a gentleman that i work with uh wanted to start a fund and I said, why do you want to start a fund? And he said, well, I'm in the luxury Airbnb business. Okay. And um, what I want to do is acquire a bunch of properties so that I can uh, then rent them out as opposed sure. to having to go find people that have them, you know, one at a time because it's taking us too much time. And I said, so why do you need a fund to do that? Because a fund is a whole separate business with lots of liability and you need different people to go out and raise money and all this stuff. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, well, aren't there... This is back to my swaths of people that have the customers that you want. I said, aren't there banks that own lots of luxury properties that have foreclosed, like significant inventory of those that they can't put on the market? Because if they dumped them all at one time, they would take a huge hit. Why don't you go and form a strategic relationship with a bank and say, listen, I'll turn your dead inventory that's a cost into a profit center for you. And then you'll be able to sell them whenever you want. But the holding cost of them will go to zero and you'll actually turn a profit and I'll split the profits with you 50-50. Brilliant. Right? And um, and and so that was a different thinking for him. So you can do that sure. and spend all that time going to get a fund together and all the expense and the time it takes for it to happen. Or you could go find just a couple big partners and do this with right away. And who knows, that probably, I think, could turn into a, a, another giant business for you. Another gentleman was making these. He's got in the United States um, uh, for baseball. We have baseball bats. And he had a, a business where I guess they just basically burn those bats when they when they get old. So he said, hey, rather than burning them, why don't we cut them out, hollow them out and turn them into cups? And then the cups will be it'll be made from a baseball bat. It'll be a novelty cool. thing. Yeah, and yeah. Um, they what do they call it? I forget what they call it. But um, I said uh, he said that the problem is. My cost is about $13.60 a cup. We sell them for $45, so it's no problem. And they're in all the stadiums all over the United States. Uh, and and I said, well, why does it have to be a baseball bat? Well, because that's the thing that, uh, you know, that makes it sexy. And I said, yeah, but really all you need is a piece of wood that is shaped like that that can be a cup, and then you can still put – because he licenses from all the major league, you know, brands to be able to put their logos on it. As it doesn't have to be from a baseball bat. It has to look like a baseball bat. But why don't you just make that out of the country, buy your raws, your raw materials, someplace where wood is significantly less expensive, have the labor, which is a significant part of what his cost was, outsourced overseas, bring them back here, put the brands on them. It's exactly the same. It doesn't have to be a baseball bat. Right. And we figured out that the cost could go down from thirteen dollars to about a dollar thirty. Goodness me! Wow. So, like, that's just so in your business. I think just for everybody that's listening, what are those assumptions that we've got right now 
in in each area of our business around cost, around labor, around markets, around the things that we need to do to grow that maybe could be thought of different ways. I think one uh, final area then to look at, you say, sell the eggs and keep the geese. Yes. Yes. So for business structure, Mm -hmm. um, we we just went through an exit that I think is a great example of this. So we have uh, a company called, we have a holding company and our holding company owns a media company called Digital Marketer. Yes. And Digital Marketer uh, puts on this event called Traffic Conversion Summit that we talked about that I went to long, long ago, right? So uh, we had a UK company come in, Clarion Events, and they said we would we we're interested in buying the event uh, or buying part of the event. And um, and what we had done was we had structured the company so that each profit center was a separate entity. So we had the media company, meaning the one that has all the customers that we then market to, uh, to sell things, uh, is Digital Marketer. The event company that provided the logistics was a separate company. The event company, the sponsorship sales company that sold the sponsorships for the event was a separate company. The event itself was a separate company. And the high-end monetization on the back of the event, which was our War Room Mastermind, was a separate company. So the only thing that we really had to sell to sell the event was the URL, the web, the domain name, Traffic and Conversion Summit, the customer list, the people who attend Traffic and Conversion Summit, and the prospects, and the trademark. Correct. The rest of the assets, the intellectual property, the uh, logistics, the sales, the media was all and the and part of the monetization was all owned in separate companies that we didn't have to sell and because we used we have a central employee leasing company as well that has all of our labor that's leased out to those other companies like there that. was no personnel so it was a pretty easy transaction and and the buyer got exactly what they wanted they wanted they just want the event they don't care about the other stuff but a lot of people put their put everything into one place and so then when somebody comes in to buy they're going to buy everything. They're going to which they don't want. Most of which they don't want. They're right. going to sell it off, uh, and and you end up then losing momentum. And so this came this this like epiphany came to me last year as as we were doing this was just that really uh, in, in the neighborhood that I live in, a lot of people. I have a lot of people who um, are friends that have exited companies and they played golf for a year or two and traveled for a year or two and now they're just bored out of their minds. So they're they're first they're like you know oh you're still working to me and i'm like i'm never gonna stop working and then a couple of, you know a year or so later they'll come and go i'm so bored what are you doing <laughs> tell me about what you're doing and um and this to me it, it occurred to me that for them to get back into business they have no momentum so they're going from a cold start and the world's so, moved on in that two three year period dramatically right yep. but if if you can sell bits and pieces if you can sell profit centers that don't sacrifice your momentum then you can have an unlimited number of exits because you have an exit building machine you 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 have a goose you don't literally but you figuratively have a goose that is laying these golden eggs and so why sell the goose why sell the momentum why not create a structure that has multiple companies so that your media and your personnel and your IP, your intellectual property, and your major core functions that are 
uh, or your major supporting functions that are not core to that one business can be separatized and then you sell that business. And now it did take us, uh, normally they say those deals take about 90 to 120 days. It took us nine months to do the deal because we had to negotiate contracts for marketing and support and a bunch of other stuff. But we did it and it was worth it because we got paid. You know, they said it was the highest multiple that they had ever paid for an event, which was great. Uh, Meant that we had our, you know, had done a good job of organizing that together and a good job negotiating but then we lose nothing. So if we wanted to start a non-competing event tomorrow in the um, in the real estate space, all all we have to do is point our media, point our sales team, point our sponsor team, point our logistics team, and point our staff at that new thing, and it starts just like that with momentum. Brilliant. So that's that concept. Fantastic. Roland, as ever, fascinating conversation. I don't know where that hour just went. Um, how can people find out more about you, about War Room, uh, and about the uh, the events that you're now in- increasingly speaking on, your podcasts, etc.? Sure. So uh, Traffic Conversion Summit, our, our event is trafficandconversionsummit.com. Uh, the next one will be in uh, – it's in San Diego. The next one will be in March and uh, we'll have about 10,000 people there at the convention center in San Diego. The uh, I have a podcast that I talk about like you do here called Business Lunch, uh, which is on iTunes and all the other places if, if people would like to listen to uh, to that. Uh, our mastermind, the War Room Mastermind, is at warroommastermind.com. And then for me, I'm on, on social, on Facebook, LinkedIn, all those places, Instagram, with forward slash Roland Frazier, or you can go to rolandfrazier.com. And uh, then our our primary media company's digital marketer, which is at digitalmarketer.com. So I know that's a lot of web addresses and things, but uh, you can reach out to me anywhere. And I, I answer everything I mentioned earlier. I think the best thing you can do is give with nothing uh, expected in return. And when people ask if I will consult, I say, I, you cannot hire me as a consultant because I only come in and consult for companies I own, but I will happily help you for free uh, as much as I can within my schedule. And, um, and you know, if something happens, then that's a good thing. Roland. Thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your passion and your insight and your knowledge. It's been a real privilege. It's my pleasure. Thank you. This episode of the Business Mastermind is brought to you by the Evolve Mastermind. The Evolve Mastermind is a business mastermind for business owners of businesses turning over between 500,000 and 5 million per annum. Their monthly events provide you with solutions, strategies, inspiration and insights to help you scale and grow your business. Each month there's a hand-picked speaker to provide you with relevant strategies plus time to mastermind with other business owners on issues that are facing you and your business. With groups in Chelmsford in Essex and Manchester in the Northwest and more locations planned, go to www.the-evolve-mastermind.co.uk. That's www.the-evolve-mastermind.co.uk. You've been listening to the Business Mastermind podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms, enjoy more success and create more impact.